Welcome to the Arbitration Station. Am I still allowed to say that? I'm your host, Sadia Bhatti. And we have with us, of course, our fantastic Brian Kotick. Hello, hello. How are you doing, Brian? Great, great. Um, entering into the summer months. Um, and I'm on the organization committee of a new conference. Um, in It's going to be August 31st, September 1st in Stockholm. It's oh. the 20th annual celebration of the in International Commercial Arbitration Master's Program. Um, I planned the 15th one myself, and I almost wanted to kill myself. Um, but now we have a big organization committee, so it's going to be amazing. Have you been to the Vasa Museum in Stockholm? I have not. No. Okay. It's no. basically a big ship, and all you do in this ship, in this museum, is you walk over the ship, around the ship, under the ship, watch a movie about the ship. Oh, read that's a amazing. <laughs> Because uh, it's like it's a celebration of failure. So it's this it's this ship that left port and sunk like twenty meters out. Oh. So they were able to salvage the whole ship. So now that it's one of the only like fully salvaged ships from that time, um, and that's where they're having the gala dinner around the ship. Wow, you're such a good pitch. I want to go. <laughs> yeah. Except it's my birthday. It's my 40th. So I don't know if I want to spend it. Your 40th. And, oh and to celebrate God. failure. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's true. No, it's got to be a, a celebration of life for your 40th. Exactly. Exactly. No, I'm just kidding. I might. Let's see. Who knows? Maybe I'll be a little stuck on. <laughs> so okay. what do we have on tap for today, Sadio? So we are going to be speaking about bailouts and what that means for um, arbitration. That's our first topic. And what about happy fun time, Brian? What are we going to speak about? Well, on just to trail off of that subject, we'll be talking about are arbitration practitioners nearing to the level of ambulance chasers, not only in investment treaty arbitration, but also in commercial arbitration. We'll just have fun with it. We'll have fun with it. I like that topic. Looking forward to speaking about it. All right, let's go. Bank bailouts. So when we hear about that term, what do you think about, Brian? I think about, well, if we're talking about recent news, I'm thinking <laughs> yeah. about Credit Suisse. That's a good one. I was going to ask you about this afterwards. So I okay. started by going online and looking for the Cambridge Dictionary of what is a bailout. Just thought, you know, because we maybe make assumptions. So it's the act of helping a person or organization that is in difficulty, usually by giving or or lending money. <laughs> like my mom. Yeah. <laughs> like your mom. <laughs> so your mom lends you money because you're in distress. Yeah. How is that a problem in arbitration? Why would we have claims arising of this behavior from um so in this instance, for example, we're gonna speak about suits, of course, but government bail bailout when the government intervenes to save a bank. Mm -hmm. I, I had discussions with colleagues who are not arbitration practitioners who were dazzled with the idea of like wait what you're thinking about making a claim against the state that's helping the economy why <laughs> when you say it like that oh no <laughs> right mm -hmm. um, and why am i speaking about this but of course but even more recently 
at least um, in terms of the publication date, I saw that the PCA published an award uh, which concerned uh, Mexican investors who filed an investment treaty claim against uh, Spain mm -hmm. uh, over uh, lost deposits in Banco Popular. Am I saying it right? American yep. Spanish accent, which is the major Spanish bank that in 17, 2017 was declared failing or likely to fail by the single resolution board, which is a EU agency created to deal with bank failures following the 2008 financial crisis. So again, here, the scenario was that the state, so when I say the state, I'm going maybe a bit too fast, but the Spanish authorities and the uh, the single resolution board, they agreed to a scheme um, that saw Banco Popular's shares sold to Spain's largest bank, Santander. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it. Santander, yeah. Santander, Santander <laughs> for a nominal price of one euro. Amazing. And because that happened, the impact on... And yes, you. I think you're you're thinking right to considerable losses for the rescued bank's shareholders and creditors. That's why there's a loss to those mm -hmm. shareholders and creditors who are foreign investors also, right? right? For the purpose of potential treaty claims. So what happened in that one was the Mexican investors alleged that Spain contributed to the bank's liquidity problems uh, by withdrawing billions in deposits and failing to provide it with adequate financial support. Um, and the award shows uh, that Spain failed actually with a series of jurisdictional objections. So that's an interesting and important as well. But I'm not going to speak about the jurisdictional objections today. What I'm going to focus on is that um, is on the merits of the claim, because even if uh, some of the jurisdictional objections were actually successful, which is interesting, mm -hmm. um, a, a lot of them were dismissed. And then so it went into the merits and the meat of the case. Um, and on liability, what happened, the tribunal said that the claimants failed to establish that Spain's measures had been a breach of FET, so fair and equitable mm -hmm. treatment. It found that Spain had acted within the boundaries of the discretion within the EU and Spanish legal framework allowed, and that the claimants had not even come close to proving that the state Ooh. had, and I quote, eviscerated the fundamental principles of the law. Um, I'm also going to quote here uh, paragraph 764 of the award. The award is actually uh, available online, so you can find it on the PCA's website. Um, and it says, and I quote, if an administrative action like the resolution of Banco Popular could, without more, be deemed a measure equivalent to an expropriation, then the complex legal framework on the recovery and resolution of credit institutions would be undermined and resolution mm. authorities would be precluded or severely limited in the exercise of their powers. In the tribunal's view, nothing in the treaty suggests any such unreasonable outcome. A right to regulate. Here we exact go. Right to regulate. That's the one, right? Mm -hmm. Right to regulate. Um, and and so I thought it was really interesting because obviously all there's been a number of of cases in the past actually that concern bailouts. Before I get to the Credit Suisse, I don't know if you know anyone. What do you think about bank bailouts, investment treaty claims? Do you think 
any other well i think i mean i think the credit suisse one is a bit different to the spanish one yeah um and and there i think that there is actually some some merit and i haven't dug into the the pca case so i can't really say that it didn't have any merit although i'll probably align with the tribunal's decision um but i yeah i think i think the also there's isn't there a causation problem um Mm. if you're dealing with the bank's decision to do this, or if it's the state's decision, whether they're obligated to act a certain way under EU regulations or something. I mean, I can, maybe this is the jurisdictional objection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was discussed, actually. That's very interesting that you make that point that was discussed. That was discussed. What I was also thinking about is just to put this into context before we talk about Credit Suisse, because um, obviously all of these cases are fact-specific and there are differences. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's interesting to note that the first, uh, I mean, the, I think it's the first one, or at least the major one that addressed this issue was against the Czech Republic in mm-hmm. 2000, Luka yeah. and, and Czech Republic about the discriminatory, um, alleged alleged discriminatory tr- treatment by the state um, to to save um, those those Czech banks. And it, in, in that award, actually, the tribunal determined that there was a violation of the treaty and that it was mm. discriminatory, in fact. Um, and there were a couple of other cases, of course, against Greece, Cyprus, Bahrain, um, I, th- I note also Indonesia, and all of them are very different. But the Credit Suisse one, and it's good that you mentioned that, is um, also something else. Mm. <laughs> something else. So what happened? Um the Swiss authorities actually approved the takeover of Credit Suisse by UBS in March, so of this year, so really just a couple of weeks ago, to resolve what they saw as a liquidity crisis at the bank to avoid, again, a national financial crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and here it was FINMA, which is the Swiss Financial Market Supervisory Authority that ordered, and here, you know, I, I quote because this was the term used, the complete write down of 16 billion Swiss francs, mm-hmm. which is almost, uh, it's actually 17.8 billion US dollars for those who can't think in Swiss francs. <laughs> mm-hmm. And a worth of Credit, Credit Suisse additional tier bonds, which are the AT1 bonds, leaving them completely valueless. So the AT1 bonds are, in fact, a category of bond created after the 2008 financial crash and are designed to convert into equity if the bank's capital fall below requirements. Right. So this decision to write down the bonds was authorized by emergency legislation and passed by the Swiss parliament days earlier. And it seems that there was here a violation. Why? Because they didn't respect um the order the hierarchy between exactly. the bondholders and the shareholders and what's interesting is when this news came out uh and we're going to be speaking about it a little bit more in the second segment but um there was a lot of discussion very quickly about wait what does that mean everybody was shocked with the decision um mm-hmm. and it kind of felt like it was there was something very fishy about it and the bondholders were completely surprised um and then people start looking about wait what are the nationality of the bondholders right <laughs> uh, would they be able to bring a claim here in this instance it was against swiss in switzerland so which treaties are in place with switzerland mm-hmm. and it so appeared that they were actually and i'm going to cite the one that has been referred to in the press um the singapore EFTA agreement, which has never been used for an investment arbitration before, oh, and which actually provides for accident and arbitration for um, Singaporean um, 
you know, investors that are, you know, of that, of Singaporean nationality. There are others as well. Uh, but interestingly, that's the one that has been discussed about uh, a lot. Uh, and there were thousands, no, or hundreds of investors from, from Singapore. Yeah, there were a lot. Well, in the, in the press article that I'm reading, I'm reading here from Guard, it says more than 80 Singapore-based investors who collectively held bonds formerly worth tens of millions of dollars alleged to terms of the takeover. Uh, okay, less than I thought. Takeover. Yeah, exactly. But maybe there are more, you're right. But in the, in the Mexican one, there were about 50 uh, that claimed. Mm. So again, it's also interesting because there are examples of mass claims. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, when you have a mass claim, who's really happy? The funders who fund those claims, they're like, I lovely, I love it, bring it on, bring I know. it on. <laughs> so, in fact, also that uh, press article I'm referring to says that they were in discussions with uh, third-party funders. And I, I haven't heard anything since, but maybe because I haven't been keeping in touch that much about whether a claim has actually been filed or not, or others are considering or not. But there were discussion about also filing court uh, complaints before the Swiss courts. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to doing, um, you know, to to going the arbitration way, and maybe other nationalities also will look into it because there are um, nationalities from China, India, Japan, and South Korea. Who? Why am I mentioning those in particular? Because they have treaties with mm. Switzerland. So, without going in too much detail on the substance, you know, what what is uh, often alleged is discriminatory treatment. We talked mm -hmm. about it before, uh, violation of fair and equitable treatment, and then expropriation, like it was the case for the Mexican, um, Mexican. Uh, yeah, and and all of which seem seem valid on the face of it, obviously. And that, but then the the kicker is this is going to be this right right to regulate. Um, because exactly. you said that you use the word approve that Swiss that Switzerland approved it. I read a, a different article that said that they were forced to take ah, that buyout. Interesting. Um, so that would be an interesting... Forced uh, by who? The Swiss government forced the bank to enter into that buyout. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be that would also be interesting because that would place a bit more blame. Some of the articles that were, I think, The Guardian published that, you know, the, the bank was making representations and even selling bonds um, days before all of this happen. Um, but I don't know if that would be particularly relevant considering that unless this was kind of approved communication by the government, whether those would amount to representations for legitimate yeah. expectations. Yeah, purposes. exactly. Yeah, no, that is very, that's very interesting. And also, I think the language of the treaties themselves, which I haven't looked at in detail, would be very important, right, on the mm -hmm. state, right, to regulate, because there's a huge discussion on when you can, you know, remember the Argentinian cases, everyone, exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. and how whether a state or no can take those measures um, to, you know, prevent financial distress to uh, to their country to save the banks, you know, save yeah. the day. Uh, and uh, whether that was legitimate and reasonable, proportionate, all of that discussion, right? So, Do you think that if they get a positive outcome in these awards, um, that this will be used for other regulatory spaces like climate and... Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I mean, to a degree. Yeah, I think so. Because even if the sector is different, it's very fact specific. Again, you know, I, I also don't think we should, um, you know, we, we, sh we should read too much into into even the passage that I that I read right. from the Mexican 
um, the Mexican case, um, it, it is a discussion about the right to regulate, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So whether it's, you know, the right to regulate between but during a pandemic, a financial crisis, the environment, why not? You yeah. know, this is, I think it's the same discussion that we ought to have. In fact, in the new treaties, and here I'm talking about stuff that I love again. So mm-hmm. gonna, I promise, Brian, I won't be speaking too much about it. But the new treaties are including more language um, on the right to regulate. They, in fact, include specifically these occurrences. You know, they don't say... Uh, bailouts and stuff but like financial distress or financial mm. to to um, an environment you know the language in response to what happened in argentina actually right. and then environmental language in response to what is happening right now and then language with respect to the pandemic has been included as well yeah because we need to stray away from the uh draconian police powers doctrine is what they used to call it right and that doesn't get you into the financial regulation sphere um, yeah. So it's important to to have those. It'll be interesting because this was a bank run, right? So once the information came out, everyone was pulling their money out. Um, and that's what caused it. Whether the bank or whether the state had enough time, and this is probably will be something about the, because it's not a wholesale exception, right? The right to regulate, you'll have to have mm-hmm. some sort of justified reason Absolutely. for. Yeah. And it was so quick. Um, it'll be interesting what evidence they put forward as the justification for that that right to regulate because yes, it is a huge bank and yes, it ha- will have international implications on a general level, but I wonder how quickly they were able to respond to garner any you know expert advice or any detailed analysis on what the impact would have actually been. Yeah, but do you think they should have done that, or was it when you when you're faced well, this on a bank run, you really don't have time. Yeah, you got you have to exactly. make the split decision. That's yeah. that's what's interesting. Let me call the arbitration station. I'll <laughs> yeah. What do you think? <laughs> All right, banks, hold on. Everyone, shut your bank accounts. Let's think about this properly because we don't want a claim against us. <laughs> yeah, no, surely. I mean, we're making a joke, but I'm pretty sure they were advised or they yeah. talked about it. Yeah, it'll be um, interesting know, what they did. Yeah, because it's not the first time again that this has happened, right? I mean, most recently it was in Greece and Cyprus. There was those, um, and and I think it's going to keep. Unfortunately, I don't wish it, but it might still happen. We're not exactly in a very, uh, very glorious economic period as mm. we speak. Um, Are they the Swiss cases that you talked about that they'll do local court cases? Is that is that against the bank then? Um, or would it be against like a, a regulatory against, challenge? I think it could be a regulatory challenge. It could be against the admin administrative courts as well. Right, I think. right. But I'm, uh, but I'm not hundred percent sure. I have to confess. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, and also I heard other other jurisdictions as well, but I'm not sure how they would be. Uh, they would have jurisdiction. So this is all very new, actually. People are kind of exploring how you could bring uh, claims, where you can bring claims, and whether those claims would have any teeth. That's the thing also, right? Because interesting timing, because this award that I mentioned, the first one I mentioned, the Mexican award, was uh, rendered in March also, I think, if I'm not mistaken, but it was published only just recently. So, yeah. Oh gosh, I didn't even think they couldn't pro- probably bring it against the bank because the bank doesn't exist or it got bought. Yeah, I mean the bank. Yeah, so it would be either the Euro- the Swiss, you know, the the regulatory body or the the Swiss, you know, the the Swiss financial market 
party mm. or the the yeah very interesting yeah right. so uh, yeah there you go there you have it i thought that was uh, an interesting development just for reference purposes i didn't mention that i should have the first case that i was mentioning was is called antonio del valle ruiz and others against the kingdom of spain and it was a pca on case which was and the award was rendered the 13 march 2023 it's online the tribunal was from people that we don't know a lot that you know, are not usually appointed as arbitrators professor mm-hmm. gabriel kaufman caller <laughs> 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 professor william park and mr eric simul and the secretary of the arbitral trial i mentioned it because he's a he's a he's a good friend of ours michelle michele potesta oh yeah very good so he knows i'm sure much more about we'll this. have to get him on the podcast sorry the yeah. case name was antonio de uh, Antonio del Valle Ruiz. Valle, Valle. Valle. Valle? Valle. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So that was the main, main investor, I think, um, in there. So voila, there you have it. Well done. All right. Well, let's trail off into some happy fun. Okay. Perfect. So picking up off your substantive topic, Sadia, it that led me to start thinking about how the arbitration practitioner market reacted to a case like this. They saw a huge problem and they started thinking about how they're going to solve the problem. And then they started thinking about who are we going to contact in order to get fees to have this problem resolved. And it, it led me to think, and this is tongue in cheek, and I want everyone to take it in that tone, um, is that it it almost it seemed a bit and i'm going to be controversial here it seemed a bit ambulance chasing i think totally ambulance chasing just say <laughs> it you have to call you know it by its name no i think we're all it's funny cuz coming from california it's it's illegal i mean for personal injury stuff obviously you're not allowed to arrive on site of a car crash and start passing out your business cards right and yeah. I think if you extrapolate that example or, or analogize it to what's happened here, it's, oh, I mean, it's basically a virtual showing up at the site of the crash and starting passing out your business cards. That's exactly, yeah, that's very interesting that you mentioned that. It is true. We are shameless, aren't we? Yes. And I mean, this is, you know, obviously an example of people that have suffered a loss and are going to be looking anyway. So I think that's an easy example. But I think the other example is that people that are, in in the scope of business development, trying to find things that are happening in the future, regulations that are going to be put in place, and then creating this idea, okay, well, that's a claim. I think it's easier in um, the investment treaty arbitration sphere, because you're dealing with live living governments and how they're changing, and then you can actually um, foresee these types of changes and how they would impact um, the the world, your client, etc. Um, I think in commercial arbitration, it is a bit more difficult. However, if you know that there's going to be a huge development or a change in industry or um, a big construction project, well, that's just obviously going to lead in some type of dispute and you want to be the first one on the ground in order to yeah. get, get your business card passed out. 
Yeah, it, and it's interesting this this because uh, we were mentioning the Credit Suisse case. Um, in the news, I had read that uh, Queen Emmanuel had um, organized a call um, for all bondholders, like a Zoom call or whatever it was. Just like know, an like open call for like, anyone. I think it was a meeting. I I don't want to extrapolate, but that's what I heard they did, and which mm. is. If you think about it, honestly, because in that instance, you didn't know who the bondholder. I mean, it was very difficult to get information at first about who were the grieved bondholders, who were they, well, who were the identity, were mm. they, you know, they could have been individuals. They are individuals, actually. Are they banks? Are they who it was? And names came out slowly in the press, right? But we didn't really know. And so they were just like, okay, whoever is concerned by this, mm. you know, just call us or we're having this meeting and we're going to discuss this it was literally like days after i think I, um, this is it it's equal part just genius yeah. and equal parts what are you doing yeah um, but at the same time like you would say well if it happened to you you would want to know you yeah, would want to yeah, go yeah, yeah. somewhere and if if you're suffering from something you would want to go to a doctor i suppose right so well and where do you see ambulance <laughs> chasing the most you see that in mass claims right because yeah. you have a case test of yeah. one client and you're like well this has happened to a lot of people okay yeah. let's increase this so not only does it invoke the fact that mass claims are much more prevalent but also to your point about funding is that funders want a specific amount in quantum in order to fund it and they have become much more sophisticated in mass claims i know one funder that we used for a couple of arbitrations now is exclusively focusing on mass claims because of the amount of damages not only are they doing that but they're doing a lot of investment in the u.s because that's where a lot of it occurs happening yeah, yeah, yeah um so i and i think so i think you really hit the nail on the head there that it, this is something that um we're probably going to see more and more of these mass claims and there is using ai technology and other um yeah. specialist um companies that can help you identify the class of claimants they'll help you manage the class um and they'll help you bring it forward and so you're in this access to justice realm but you're also in the ethics realm as well yeah of uh solicitation um i don't know how it is with the the french bar but in in the u.s solicitation is highly regulated because of our culture what do you think i mean the french are actually much more regulated i think and it's it's, uh, i remember when when i when i was a kid and going on vacation in the u.s i was these huge billboards of you know call me like like a lawyer if something happened to you or you know you want to get into you know you're getting through a divorce call the divorce lawyer you would never or a personal injury lawyer or whatever it was never ever see that in france even Mm -hmm. today it is strictly regulated. You can't even, I think there, I don't know the exact rules, but about how you market your services and how you put ads down and everything. It's um, very much frowned upon, very much frowned upon, which might actually explain why <laughs> talking about the, um, also me being in a French firm, the, the you know, how we market our services is, is mm-hmm. not similar Um I mean, it's now it's getting closer, but it's very different than than what, how an American firm would market. Oh well. yeah, I, I, the regulation on marketing is like you're not allowed to promise a success yeah. or advertise a percentage of success of past cases. Like that, this is the the nuance of the regulation. It's not you cannot solicitate. Um, right, 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 right. Or solicit, right. excuse me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting discussion because you and I are both in active BD phases of our career and we know what what is required in order to, to develop business for firms. And 
a lot of that requires you having the foresight of what's happening in the market, what's happening in industries. And in order to be the first person on the ground in order to be there, um, because it's such a saturated market. Um, so I, I do understand that point. But I also think it's just hilarious and a bit ironic that we have entered into this profession in order to be reactionary and solve problems. But um, at some point, based on what you your obligations to your to your company, etc, you're going to have to maybe create a problem or uh, find the problem that no one ever knew about. Oh my gosh, don't say it that too much because it's I don't know for you, but all my um, people around me, starting from my family, um, who are not lawyers, they're mm -hmm. all that that's how they would define us as arbitration <laughs> lawyers, like dispute lawyers. Dispute oh, you lawyer. create disputes. You're you actually create the problem to resolve mm -hmm. it after we're like, no, that's not true. We're here to resolve an issue or to find a a nice settlement for both parties, a resolution exactly. of the dispute. But um, we're helping out. If anything, we are helping. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's... Uh, but, you know, to go back to your first point, are we ambulance chasers? It's hard to say no. It It is hard. It's, it's right? hard to say that any lawyer is not. It has um, a very negative connotation to it. I don't yes, like because that. Because of the, the ambulance yeah. of it all. But if yeah. you're, you know, a regulatory change chaser <laughs> you can call but it everybody does that like there's a national you know some you know african state has nationalized its resources and bang you know the next mm -hmm. day we're like oh look at this expropriations violation of treaty potential claims arising out of, out of this you know there was uh the war the war in ukraine oh bang you know webinar on potential claims arising of you know? yeah yeah exactly. it's always like that pandemic oh claims arising out of <laughs> pandemic for sure <laughs> it's like non-stop that's what we do you know what's the next one this was like just a few weeks ago i don't even know what we're talking about right now but i'm pretty sure you know in the news tonight it'll be something else yeah so really really interesting we do start with the loss and someone suffered the loss and then we have to build up from there, I guess, sometimes. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I mean, look at our last episode. We talked about potential claims arising out of crypto. Yeah, exactly. Crypto, that's the one. And then we did renewable energy claims and mm -hmm. transition to, you know, greener energy. How many segments have we done on this? Our resource yeah. nationalism. Yeah. And uh and that's what that's what us lawyers do, right? The, it's the name of the game. Is yeah. the name of the game. Is the name of the game. Well, I don't know if that was fun, guys, but it's definitely <laughs> true. <laughs> <Or> scary. <laughs> that's scary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, th thank you for the uh, the substantive topic. It was illuminating, and I think we are going to see a lot of this more, and maybe even a shift on how tribunals are treating it. Whether they feel more emboldened to rely on any exceptions or new treaty provisions in order to um, allow states a little bit more regulatory space, or if they do think that states are trying to react a bit too quickly and unfairly. Let me just put one thing. I, I hope there is no discriminatory treatment between the way investors are treated in Spain versus how investors are treated Ooh. in Argentina or somewhere else in the world. Interesting. <laughs> I like Question that. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like a claim I, on the claim. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think yeah. you're absolutely right. And uh, they might have a bit more um, justification to rely on a regulatory space if you're dealing with a, a first world country versus a third world yeah, country. Yeah, exactly. Or in Switzerland versus, you know, do you have, and I think generally speaking for yeah. everything. That's a really interesting about. point. 
whether it be yeah whether a state will have more regulatory authority being having being a developed country and having more of a global impact yeah because here you know you're hearing all the you know to take a completely different example the european countries on the ect debate mm-hmm. you're like oh yeah we come on what is this ect this is nuts we need to do our energy transition we need to take measures to encourage renewable energy and this and that and get a phase out of fossil fuels and Mm-hmm. when you know you have other countries saying the same thing <laughs> in south america or in a, anywhere else um you know in africa or from the south you know how are they how are they going to be reacted yeah how are they going to be treated mm, treated it's a question very good i like leaving episodes with a question with a question yeah <laughs> all right Why well not? until next time cheers <laughs>